Chapters 1 through 3 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. Translated by Alexander Roberts and William H. Rombo. Chapter 1 absurd ideas of the disciples of valentinus as to the origin name order and conjugal productions of their fancied ions with the passages of scripture which they adapt to their opinions one they maintain then that in the invisible and ineffable heights above there exists a certain perfect pre-existent ion whom they call proarche propator and bythus and describe as being invisible and incomprehensible eternal and unbegotten he remained throughout innumerable cycles of ages in profound serenity and quiescence there existed along with him enoia whom they also call charis and sigi at last this bythus determined to send forth from himself the beginning of all things and deposited this production which he had resolved to bring forth in his contemporary sigi even as seed is deposited in the womb she then having received this seed and becoming pregnant gave birth to naus who was both similar and equal to him who had produced him and was alone capable of comprehending his father's greatness this naus they call also monogenes and father and the beginning of all things along with him was also produced aletheia and these four constituted the first and first begotten pythagorean tetrad which they also denominate the root of all things for there are first bythus and sigi and then naus and aletheia and monogenes perceiving for what purpose he had been produced also himself sent forth logos and zoe being the father of all those who were to come after him and the beginning and fashioning of the entire pleroma by the conjunction of logos and zoe were brought forth anthropos and ecclesia and thus was formed the first begotten ogdoad the root and substance of all things called among them by four names viz bythus and naus and logos and anthropos for each of these is masculo-feminine as follows propator was united by conjunction with his enoia then monogenes that is naus with aletheia logos with zoe and anthropos with ecclesia two these ions having been produced for the glory of the father and wishing by their own efforts to effect this object sent forth emanations by means of conjunction logos and zoe after producing anthropos and ecclesia sent forth other ten ions whose names are the following bythius and mixus agaratos and henosis autophias and hedoni asenetos and syncrasis monogenes and macaria 
These are the ten ions whom they declare to have been produced by Lagos and Zoe. They then add that Anthropos himself, along with Ecclesia, produced twelve ions, to whom they give the following names, Paracletus and Pistus, Patricos and Elpis, Metricos and Agape, Ainos and Synesis, Ecclesiasticus and Macariotes, Theletos and Sophia. 3. Such are the thirty Ions in the erroneous system of these men, and they are described as being wrapped up, so to speak, in silence, and known to none except these professing teachers. Moreover, they declare that this invisible and spiritual pleroma of theirs is tripartite, being divided into an ogdoad, a decad, and a duodecad. And for this reason they affirm it was that the Saviour, for they do not please to call him Lord, did no work in public during the space of thirty years, thus setting forth the mystery of these ions. They maintain also that these thirty ions are most plainly indicated in the parable of the laborers sent into the vineyard. For some are sent about the first hour, others about the third hour, others about the sixth hour, others about the ninth hour, and others about the eleventh hour. Now, if we add up the numbers of the hours here mentioned, the sum total will be thirty. For one, three, six, nine, and eleven, when added together, form thirty. And by the hours, they hold that the ions were pointed out, while they maintain that these are great and wonderful and hitherto unspeakable mysteries which it is their special function to develop. And so they proceed when they find anything in the multitude of things contained in the scriptures which they can adopt and accommodate to their baseless speculations. Chapter 2. The Propator was known to Monogenes alone, ambition, disturbance, and danger into which Sophia fell, her shapeless offspring. She is restored by Horos. The production of Christ and of the Holy Spirit, in order to the completion of the Ions. Manner of the production of Jesus. 1. They proceed to tell us that the propator of their scheme was known only to Monogenes, who sprang from him, in other words, only to Nous, while to all the others he was invisible and incomprehensible. And according to them, Nous alone took pleasure in contemplating the Father, and exulted in considering his immeasurable greatness while he also meditated how he might communicate to the rest of the Ions the greatness of the Father, revealing to them how vast and mighty he was, and how he was without beginning, beyond comprehension, and altogether incapable of being seen. But, in accordance with the will of the Father, Sigi restrained him, because it was his design to lead them all to an acquaintance with the aforesaid Propator, and to create within them a desire of investigating his nature. In like manner, the rest of the Ions also, in a kind of quiet way, had a wish to behold the author of their being, and to contemplate that first cause which had no beginning. 
too. But there rushed forth in advance of the rest that Ion who was much the latest of them, and was the youngest of the duodecad which sprang from Anthropos and Ecclesia, namely Sophia, and suffered passion apart from the embrace of her consort Theletos. This passion, indeed, first arose among those who were connected with Naus and Aletheia, but passed as by contagion to this degenerate Ion, who acted under a pretense of love, but was in reality influenced by temerity, because she had not, like Naus, enjoyed communion with the perfect father. This passion, they say, consisted in a desire to search into the nature of the father, for she wished, according to them, to comprehend his greatness. When she could not attain her end, inasmuch as she aimed at an impossibility, and thus became involved in an extreme agony of mind, while both on account of the vast profundity, as well as the unsearchable nature of the father, and on account of the love she bore him, she was ever stretching herself forward. There was danger lest she should at last have been absorbed by his sweetness, and resolved into his absolute essence, unless she had met with that power which supports all things, and preserves them outside of the unspeakable greatness. This power they term Horos. By him, they say, she was restrained and supported, and that then, having with difficulty been brought back to herself, she was convinced that the father is incomprehensible, and so laid aside her original design, along with that passion which had arisen within her from the overwhelming influence of her admiration. 3. But others of them fabulously describe the passion and restoration of Sophia as follows. They say that she, having engaged in an impossible and impractical attempt, brought forth an amorphous substance, such as her female nature enabled her to produce. When she looked upon it, her first feeling was one of grief, on account of the imperfection of its generation and then of fear, lest this should end her own existence. Next she lost, as it were, all command of herself, and was in the greatest perplexity while endeavouring to discover the cause of all this, and in what way she might conceal what had happened. Being greatly harassed by these passions, she at last changed her mind, and endeavoured to return anew to the father. When, however, she in some measure made the attempt, strength failed her, and she became a suppliant of the father. The other Ions, Naus in particular, presented their supplications along with her. And hence they declare material substance had its beginning from ignorance and grief and fear and bewilderment. 4. The father afterwards produces, in his own image, by means of monogenes, the above-mentioned horos, without conjunction, masculo-feminine. For they maintain that sometimes the father acts in conjunction with sigi, but that at other times he shows himself independent both of male and female. And they term this horos both staros and lytrotes, and carpistes, and horothetes, and metagogies. And by this horos 
they declare that Sophia was purified and established, while she was also restored to her proper conjunction. For her enthymesis, or inborn idea, having been taken away from her, along with its supervening passion, she herself certainly remained within the pleroma. But her enthymesis, with its passion, was separated from her by horos, fenced off and expelled from that circle. This enthymesis was, no doubt, a spiritual substance, possessing some of the natural tendencies of an ion, but at the same time shapeless and without form, because it had received nothing. And on this account they say that it was an imbecile and feminine production. 5. After this substance had been placed outside of the pleroma of the ions, and its mother restored to her proper conjunction, they tell us that Monogenes, acting in accordance with the prudent forethought of the father, gave origin to another conjugal pair, namely Christ and the Holy Spirit, lest any of the ions should fall into a calamity similar to that of Sophia, for the purpose of fortifying and strengthening the pleroma, and who at the same time completed the number of the ions. Christ then instructed them as to the nature of their conjunction, and taught them that those who possessed a comprehension of the unbegotten were sufficient for themselves. He also announced among them what related to the knowledge of the Father, namely, that he cannot be understood or comprehended, nor so much as seen or heard, except in so far as he is known by monogenies only. And the reason why the rest of the ions possess perpetual existence is found in that part of the Father's nature which is incomprehensible. But the reason of their origin and formation was situated in that which may be comprehended regarding him, that is, in the Son. Christ, then, who had just been produced, effected these things among them. 6. But the Holy Spirit taught them to give thanks on being all rendered equal among themselves, and led them to a state of true repose. Thus, then, they tell us that the ions were constituted equal to each other in form and sentiment, so that all became as Naus, and Logos, and Anthropos, and Christus. The female ions, too, became all as Aletheia, and Zoe, and Spiritus, and Ecclesia. Everything, then, being thus established, and brought into a state of perfect rest, they next tell us that these beings sang praises with great joy to the Propator, who himself shared in the abounding exaltation. Then, out of gratitude for the great benefit which had been conferred on them, the whole pleroma of the Ions, with one design and desire, and with the concurrence of Christ and the Holy Spirit, their Father also setting the seal of his approval on their conduct, brought together whatever each one had in himself of the greatest beauty and preciousness, and uniting all these contributions so as skillfully to blend the whole, they produced, to the honor and glory of Bythus, a being of most perfect beauty, the very star of the Pleroma, and the perfect fruit of it, namely, Jesus. 
him they also speak of under the name of Saviour and Christ, and patronymically Logos and everything, because he was formed from the contributions of all. And then we are told that, by way of honour, angels of the same nature as himself were simultaneously produced to act as his bodyguard. Chapter 3 Texts of Holy Scripture used by these heretics to support their opinions. 1. Such, then, is the account they give of what took place within the Pleroma, such the calamities that flowed from the passion which seized upon the Ion who has been named, and who was within a little of perishing by being absorbed in the universal substance, through her inquisitive searching after the Father such the consolidation of that ion from her condition of agony by horos and staros and lytrotes and carpistes and horothetes and metagogies such also is the account of the generation of the later ions namely of the first christ and of the holy spirit both of whom were produced by the father after the repentance of sophia and of the second christ whom they also style saviour who owed his being to the joint contributions of the ions. They tell us, however, that this knowledge has not been openly divulged, because all are not capable of receiving it, but has been mystically revealed by the Saviour through means of parables to those qualified for understanding it. This has been done as follows. The thirty ions are indicated, as we have already remarked, by the thirty years during which they say the Saviour performed no public act, and by the parable of the labourers in the vineyard. Paul also, they affirm, very clearly and frequently names these ions, and even goes so far as to preserve their order, when he says, To all the generations of the ions of the ion. Nay, we ourselves, when at the giving of thanks, we pronounce the words, to ions of ions, or for ever and ever, do set forth these ions, and in fine, wherever the words ion or ions occur, they at once refer them to these things. 2. The production, again, of the duodecad of the ions is indicated by the fact that the Lord was twelve years of age when he disputed with the teachers of the law and by the election of the apostles, for of these there were twelve. The other eighteen ions were made manifest in this way, that the Lord, according to them, conversed with his disciples for eighteen months after his resurrection from the dead. They also affirm that these eighteen ions are strikingly indicated by the first two letters of his name, namely, Iota and Eta, and in like manner they assert that the ten ions are pointed out by the letter iota which begins his name while for the same reason they tell us the saviour said one iota or one tittle shall by no means pass away until all be fulfilled three they further maintain that the passion which took place in the case of the twelfth ion is pointed at by the apostasy of Judas, who was the twelfth apostle, 
and also by the fact that Christ suffered in the twelfth month. For their opinion is that he continued to preach for one year only after his baptism. The same thing is also most clearly indicated by the case of the woman who suffered from an issue of blood. For after she had been thus afflicted during twelve years, she was healed by the advent of the Saviour, when she had touched the border of his garment. And on this account the Saviour said, Who touched me? Teaching his disciples the mystery which had occurred among the Ions, and the healing of that Ion who had been involved in suffering. For she who had been afflicted twelve years represented that power whose essence, as they narrate, was stretching itself forth and flowing into immensity, and unless she had touched the garment of the sun, that is, Aletheia of the first tetrad, who is denoted by the hem spoken of, she would have been dissolved into the general essence of which she participated. She stopped short, however, and ceased any longer to suffer. For the power that went forth from the sun, and this power they term Horos, healed her, and separated the passion from her. 4. They moreover affirm that the Saviour is shown to be derived from all the Ions, and to be in himself everything by the following passage. Every male that openeth the womb, for he, being everything, opened the womb of the enthymesis of the suffering Ion, when it had been expelled from the pleroma. This they also style the second Ogdoad, of which we shall speak presently. And they state that it was clearly on this account that Paul said, And he himself is all things. And again, All things are to him, and of him are all things. And further, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. And yet again, all things are gathered together by God in Christ. Thus do they interpret these and any like passages to be found in Scripture. 5. They show further that that Horos of theirs, whom they call by a variety of names, has two faculties, the one of supporting and the other of separating. And in so far as he supports and sustains, he is Staros, while in so far as he divides and separates, he is Horos. They then represent the Saviour as having indicated his twofold faculty. First, the sustaining power, when he said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross, or Staros, and follow after me, cannot be my disciple. And again, Taking up the cross, follow me but the separating power when he said, I came not to send peace, but a sword. They also maintain that John indicated the same thing when he said, The fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge the floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. By this declaration he set forth the faculty of Horos. For that fan they explain to be the cross, or staros, which consumes, no doubt, all material objects, as fire does chaff, 
but it purifies all them that are saved, as a fan does wheat. Moreover, they affirm that the Apostle Paul himself made mention of this cross in the following words. The doctrine of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved it is the power of God. And again, God forbid that I should glory in anything save in the cross of Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I unto the world. 6. Such, then, is the account which they all give of their pleroma, and of the formation of the universe, striving, as they do, to adapt the good words of revelation to their own wicked inventions and it is not only from the writings of the evangelists and the apostles that they endeavor to derive proofs for their opinions by means of perverse interpretations and deceitful expositions they deal in the same way with the law and the prophets which contain many parables and allegories that can frequently be drawn into various senses according to the kind of exegesis to which they are subjected and others of them with great craftiness adapting such parts of scripture to their own figments lead away captive from the truth those who do not retain a steadfast faith in one god the father almighty and in one lord jesus christ the son of god end of book one chapters one through three